Hello everyone. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Great Musical Adventure. It's a new program where I essentially just talk about albums that I've been listening to lately, things that I really like and that I think other people will enjoy. It's kind of a listener's diary in that way, very off the cuff. I have no script written or anything like that. So hopefully I won't be mumbling too much or ranting or anything um, and we can just talk about the albums. Today is February 10th, 2021. I live in the uh, state of Minnesota and we're having a polar vortex so things have gotten really cold which is not a lot of fun, but that means you get to stay indoors and that inevitably promotes listening to new albums. And I have a list of a few that I think you, the listener, would really like. I just took a listen to an album by the Japanese composer Masakatsu Tagaki. The album is called Kagiyaki. And pardon me if I'm totally butchering these pronunciations, essentially romanized versions of the Japanese written language. Uh, Kagiyaki is from 2014. It's described as a new age album. It's filled with these lilting piano songs that are, they're extremely whimsical and they're extremely beautiful. It's quite an experience of nostalgia. I really felt nostalgic for childhood, and I really think that's what Tagaki's going for here. He's really going for trying to capture the experience of being a child and all the whimsy and all of the, you know, just taking everything in everything that comes with that as a child and trying to transport it into his assumedly more adult listeners. I think it's just a beautiful album and it's really well written. It's got field recordings and nature recordings everywhere kind of accentuating the path he's trying to take and it makes for an, an extremely cohesive listen as an album and one that really promote, promotes and provokes, I suppose, a very heavy rem emotional response in me. I don't think this is an album that I can come to very often again after listening to it. And, you know, just being able to put it on whenever, it's quite a potent album like that. There aren't too many albums that can garner that same sort of emotion. I'm happy that this is the very first album I get to be talking about on this brand new podcast program, whatever you'd like to call it. And this is the first of Mazukatsu's Tagaki's, excuse me, Mazukatsu Tagaki's pretty wide discography. He has a lot of TV and film soundtracks to his name, and 
I'm excited to take a deeper dive into his discography if Kageyaki is any indication. Just a really beautiful album, and I hope you listen to it. I also got a chance to listen to uh, another Japanese artist, Yellow Magic Orchestra's 1981 album, Technodelic. This one is a lot funkier. This one is a heavily electronic album. It's a synth-pop album, but it's such a weird little thing. Uh, it, it, use, it utilizes a lot of sampling, which for 1981 is really just out of this world. And Yellow Magic Orchestra has always been the type of artist to really push those electronic boundaries much in the same way a lot of people compare them to Kraftwerk in that way, but with Kraftwerk you always kind of get the sort of vibe that they are being almost intentionally robotic, or they're really playing into that sort of analog robotic role, which I don't think Yellow Magic Orchestra really does that. They really push themselves to make the their synthesizers and their electronic music very human. They utilize a lot of r not standard chord progressions, but they utilize a lot of poppy chord progressions. I think of the album that, the only album that I had heard before this one, at least in full, uh, 1979's Solid State Survivor, which is another great album. Um, but that one really, it has a it has a Beatles cover on it, and that should tell you enough about uh, how pop-centric that album is. And Technodelic is kind of the same way. It's just two years on from Solid State Survivor. Of course, they have uh, at least one album that comes in between, and 19, also from 1981, BGM. But Technodelic it just, the way it utilizes its samplers, it makes it just such a hazy listen. I think of, in particular, the track number four, Soul Music. It's got this wild, wild vocal sample right at the, right at the beginning, and it just latches on for the entire song. You know, in any other context, I would think that listening to the same sample over and over again would get oh, annoying, as it often does with a lot of these Plunderphonics songs. And, you know, I wouldn't really call Technodelic really a Plunderphonics album, but anyway, uh, that sample on Soul Music, you could, for all, for all I care, you could loop it on another two, three minutes, and I wouldn't mind. It's just that well crafted. It's it's an extremely refined project from some of the biggest names in all of synth pop, especially Japanese synth pop. Just absolute legends, really. Uh, great listen. I highly recommend Technodelic if synth pop is up your alley. I also got a chance to listen to the latest Blue in Exile project. Um, 
miles from last year. I kind of skipped it. And, you know, because it was 90 minutes long. And usually for me, with double albums, I'm not... I'm not a big fan of double albums. My ADD will just totally skip out if it's any longer than like an hour. It's kind of why I really love albums in a way. It's because unlike film, you know, you don't have to like plan out like two hours of your day to take a listen to it. Um, you, you know, you can just, a lot of albums are only 30 to 45 minutes long and that's all you need to take a listen to have your first of potentially many reactions. Just one of the many reasons I love albums. But I finally got around to the new Blue Nexile project. I've been a big fan of theirs with their previous work, not really for the one that everybody loves, which is Below the Heavens from 2007. Um, but I really love their 2011 project, Give Me My Flowers While I Can Still Smell Them. I happen to even have a physical copy. It's just a really, really well-crafted album full of just beautiful samples. I don't know how the producer, Exile, I don't know how he does it half the time. Just the beats that he creates and the samples that he finds are just gorgeous and extremely pastoral. And Blue compliments him wonderfully, of course. Um, though he 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 can get a little he can get a little uh, I guess tedious, I suppose. Sometimes with this with this rapping, there's some there's some corny and cheesy bars, I suppose. But you know. He always brings such a positive vibe to the table and such a, uh, you know, outwardly optimistic viewpoint that, you know, the few, like, lines that I don't like as much, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna worry about it too much, you know, there's just too much good there. And that's the same case on Miles, which is a tribute to, uh, the great jazz legend Miles Davis and there's a few references here and there throughout the album I didn't really think about it much as a tribute to Miles Davis really just felt like a continuation of the work that they were doing back in 2011 with Give Me My Flowers he talks well Blue talks a lot about just his life as a rapper he name checks tons and tons of people that eventually, you know, honestly, some, I actually stopped liking it a little bit towards the back half of this double album, because he just name checks so many people uh, that it can, that it almost gets annoying, but you can tell that he's really just wanting to pay respects and pay tributes to his heroes, and, you know, I... There's, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that. And Exile sam sampling is just as brilliant as ever. Um, just, I love when rap songs sample progressions. I, and I have no problem with, you know, hip hop that samples 
like just little snippets and then loops them because you can make brilliant stuff out of that too but I think of the track on here brightest stars um, and the the way it utilizes its little chord progression and its little bass line uh, just you just take my heart just gonna make me swoon with that stuff it's yeah miles is a is it's not a completely even record, it's not a completely consistent record, but I think it's definitely worth a listen, especially if you're a fan of jazzy hip-hop, if you're a fan of West Coast hip-hop, these guys are out of California. Um, if you like a little bit of neo-soul, I think this is going to be really up your alley. Uh, I would take one out to recommend uh, Blue and Exiles Miles. And the last one that I'm going to talk about today is Aristocratica, a 1984 album by the Italian pop band Mattia Bazaar. And this, uh, I, I feel like Italo pop doesn't get a lot of credit. I think they're kind of viewed as like, at least in like Western European, I don't think they are viewed in the Anglosphere, or at least here in the U.S., as highly as, say, England or France. But I think that's a very erroneous assumption to have. There's so many great artists that come out of Italy, and Mattia Bazar is one of them. Uh, especially when they kind of towards the middle of their career, they get into this sort of pop direction with the album Tango, that's where I first heard them. That one came out in 1983. That one's just brilliant. It's got so many great just pop hooks. Um, it's It can be a little... I don't think it's necessarily for everyone. I think you do have to take a little bit of cheese. If you like your synth pop with a little extra cheese, I think this will be very much up your alley. The singer... Um, whose name, uh, Antonella Ruggiero, there we go. And apologies if I butchered that one as well, but her vocals are just out of this world. They are absolutely insane. Electroshock is one of the best synth pop songs I may have ever heard. I'll put that on, uh, on tape, well, digital tape, I guess. But it really is a brilliant song, and... Her vocal performance is just amazing and continues that on 1984's Aristocratic, just more just pop gems, really. And it takes a more artistic direction, too. We, we lean a little bit more into art pop here. They're taking a little more chances. They're going a little more low profile. I think one of Tango's strengths is that it's so bombastic. And it's so in-your-face a lot of the time with its melodies. Aristocratica isn't like that. It's a little more subdued, but, you know, with a singer like Antonella, yeah, how, how subdued can you get? Yeah, and the, the melodies are just great, again. Just really great songwriting and just really fun synths all over this record just like it was on the last record too. 
I think if you wanted to get into Matia Bazaar, I would recommend going to Tango first, but Aristocratica is also a very solid listen. The rest of their discography isn't too highly praised, unfortunately. They got a few albums left here that I'd like to discover and take a listen to, and hopefully, you know, the people that I've been reading, hopefully they are incorrect in Matia Bazaar has more than what people say they do, but regardless, Aristocratica is a very good album. And with that, I will leave everybody to have a wonderful day, have a wonderful evening, and I will catch you next time here on The Great Musical Adventure.